This is episode 140 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. This episode goes back to Winter Youth 2007, Our God, His Love, Your Neighbor, with Rick McKinley. This is session one. Hey everybody, how you doing? What's up? Man, the whole singing thing, that is a little intimidating. Especially the I'm not that innocent part. How'd you miss that, bro? Like, come on. It's Britney Spears. Uh, <laughs> Britney. Mm. Uh, well, it's good to be with you. I'm, I'm here for four sessions today, tonight, uh, tomorrow, and tomorrow evening. And then you won't have to deal with me ever again. Uh, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'll be sleeping here and scaring you at night and stuff like that. And, um, but this, this, this morning, this afternoon, what I want to talk about is essentially this whole concept of who God is. And I think so many times we have a tendency to create God in our own image. And so some of you grew up in the church and you have kind of a picture of Jesus. Uh, for some of us, it's kind of buddy Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy, you know, the whole thing. And it's like this really holy God many times gets reduced for others of us, we don't really have a picture of God, and so when we say God, it's kind of blank. We just go, I don't, I don't really have anything to fill that slot. And so what I want to do today, just in this time period, is just kind of look at what does it look like to, to, to get a picture of God that maybe is bigger and maybe different than the one that you have. One of the things that we notice is that um, for whatever reason, when we say somebody's name... It reminds us of who they are and what their character is. So if I say Osama, right, everyone's like, yeah, we got an idea. That guy attacked our country. It's a real bummer if your name happened to be Obama and you thought you were going to run for president pretty soon. You're like, oh, that's just one letter off, a really tragic name. Um, when I say Brittany, right, we know, and except for the, the cute little girls here named Brittany, we're so sorry that uh, it's just the train wreck. Um, I was watching TV, and they have the Brittany watch. Like, every day, here's Brittany and something she's doing. And so this name sums up something of her character and her life and what she represents. If I say mom, right? Some of you go, oh, mom. Some of you go, ooh. Right? Mom ain't, mom ain't happy with me right now. Some of you were sent here by your mother. <laughs> this is punishment for you. Right? If I say dad, if I say marriage, if I, these words all of a sudden bring up connotations to us. And so when I say the word God, what comes to your mind? And so for some of you, it's like, wow, he's this really happy, smiley dude. Kind of an old man that sits in his rocker and he's sort of clueless to my life, but... Uh, that's okay. I kind of want him to be a little clueless to my life. and just There he is. Look at my son and, you know, whatever. For others of you, it's sort of an angry dude that chases you around and is always peering over your shoulder and just doesn't like anything you do. Really strict kind of a judge guy. For others of you, it's, it's sort of an emotionless God. He's a God that just staring blankly at you as if he doesn't even see you, doesn't even notice you. All of us have some picture of what God means to us. When we say the word, what comes to your mind? And what I want to do today is just look at 
God and how he defined himself, the three particular people, Abraham, Moses, and David. For some of you, you've been tracking, you've been at church as long as you can remember. And so there's sort of this inoculation to the whole idea of God. It's always there, it's going to be there next week. I'm not really that excited about knowing anything more about him. And all of you as high schoolers are at a pretty, pretty strategic place in your life. Your trajectory is going to get sent one direction or the other. And it's, it's a wise thing to do to make God a part of that. But I recognize that there's lots of you perhaps in this room that aren't interested in that. And so you're just going to have to deal with us today as I, as I talk about this. Others of you are really interested You aspire to grow in your relationship with God. You want to know him better. Some of you are really curious, and so you kind of go, yeah, I'd like to know more about this God. You're all over the map today. And so what I want to try to do is dial in a picture of God for you. And all I can do is that. You're going to have to figure out what you're going to do with it. We'll talk about how do we respond to it tonight. But I can't make you want to know God. I can only pull back the curtain and show you what he looks like and who he is. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. And the first person we want to look at is Abraham. Now Abraham is a guy who is a really older dude, like your grandparents, probably like your great-grandparents. And God comes to him as he's well along in life and says, okay, You need to leave your country, leave your family, and go to the place I'll show you. And he doesn't tell him where that is. So Abraham responds to God and says, okay, I'm going to go. And along the way, he makes a promise to Abraham, God does. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as, as plentiful as the stars in the sky. Which is a nice thought except for the fact that Abraham has no kids. And his wife is about as old as him. Which, it's not a good idea to get pregnant in your late 70s. It's just not. Uh, they don't recommend it. High risk is through the charts. Um, and most of the time you won't even remember you're pregnant. Right? You just kind of lo- lost sight of that. So here's, so here's Sarah and Abraham... And Abraham kind of goes, all right, God made me this promise. I'm going to have all these descendants. I don't, I don't know what to do with that promise because my wife is old and I'm old and we really can't have babies. So I'm going to go get this, essentially this woman who works for me. And I'll marry her and she'll have my kid. So he does that. And he has this child named Ishmael. And that really wasn't what God had in mind. He wasn't like, okay, thanks Abraham for your help. You just kind of screwed up the whole plan, but that's okay. I can work with that. And so he says to him, look, I'm going to give you a son, and that son's going to be Isaac, and it's going to come from your wife, Sarah. Now, it's a really important thing to have an inheritance in this day. To not have an inheritance is essentially like being homeless in our day. There's no one to carry on your name. There's nothing. It's what's expected of you in society that someone will carry on your heritage and carry on your name. And Abraham's got none of that. And not only that, but God has called him to trust him for something that absolutely is ridiculous. That God would bring this promised child 
through his marriage with his wife, and through that child would come all these descendants that are as numerous as the stars of the sky. And God shows up to him in Genesis chapter 17, and he speaks to Abraham. Look with me down at this passage. Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. The word God Almighty literally in, in the literal language is mountain God. Okay? So he's like, I'm the mountain God. Um, it, it means large capacity. It means huge. It means a God that ultimately can do the impossible. And if you're Abraham and you're 99 years old and you're trusting in the promise of God to give you a kid and you hear this clock ticking, right, and I'm almost 100, you're kind of thinking, this isn't possible. And God shows up to Abraham and gives us this first picture and he defines himself. He says, look, here's who I want you to remember that I am. I am God Almighty that I have the power to do whatever it is I need to do, that I have the power to do whatever it is I'm asking you to be for me, that I can accomplish whatever I call you to do, because I'm God Almighty. And for most of us, our picture of God is not a mighty God. We sing about it and the goofy songs and all that stuff, right? But when it boils right down to it, and you're facing some aspect of impossibility, some aspect of your life that you're just like, I don't think I can overcome this. And you picture your image of God in that situation. Your God is way too small. For most of us, our God is way too small. And what we do with small gods is we make small gods serve us. And so when we face something that's impossible, we define what's impossible, right? So I'm not popular enough. So I need a small God who can make me popular. But God Almighty is saying, yeah, God Almighty isn't maybe interested in you being popular. Wouldn't that be tragic? That your popularity isn't his greatest cause, like, of concern? He's not at night going, oh my gosh, how am I going to make them more popular? Right? He's not. God Almighty is going, how will you live with the fact that you might never be popular? And I'm powerful enough to fulfill you, to satisfy you. You might be looking at life going, how am I going to get through life with this particular disability, learning disability, whatever it is? How am I going to make it through life with this? And I want a small God who could come in and fix it, because I just need a God to give me the life that I want. But God Almighty is going to give you the life that you need, that he created you for. And so God Almighty will get you through the impossibility that, that you see your life ahead of you and you're going, I'm never going to be this or this or this. And he's the one that is going to make a life of fulfillment 
and satisfaction and life that you accomplish lots of great things because he's God Almighty. You might look at your parents' marriage right now, your family, your home, and just going, this is ridiculous, it's impossible. And you want a God that's small enough to obey you to fix everything. But it might not get fixed. Half the marriages in the church end in divorce just as much as half the marriages outside of the church end in divorce. The question is, is God Almighty going to be enough for you? In the face of impossibility, it just hurts too much. It's just, it's too bad, it's too big, it's too what? And for Abraham, it was, it was too ridiculous, it was too much to hope in a promise that God had given him that just seemed impossible to complete. And God comes to him and he speaks to him very specifically, I am God Almighty. God has the power to do what you need him to do so that you can follow him and obey him. Now that's, that's sort of the consequence because as much as he defines himself as almighty, he says, walk before me and be blameless. It means that God Almighty is interested in you and I connecting with his agenda, not necessarily being reduced so that he can fulfill yours, which is kind of a bummer, right? Because in this American Christianity that we've kind of created, God is our buddy and he serves us. Right? We need this. We need more money. He gives it to us. We need more money. We could sing on stage and Jake will pay us. Right? Thank you, God. <laughs> I prayed for 60 bucks and I got it. Um, it. But it's a situation where when we're looking at it, the God of Scripture says, I'm really interested in you being the kind of people that are down with my agenda. And God has a beautiful agenda for your life. And He is mighty enough to do everything he needs to do so that you can obey him. And the question kind of is, will we? Are we interested in that? First picture we get is God defining himself as a mighty God, a God who can do anything to accomplish his will. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. And we get to the person of Moses. And Moses is this dude, remember he was stuck in this little basket and shot down a river? which, I don't know, odd, maybe. Not the best thing to do with your baby. But God shows up, and Moses grows up in Pharaoh's home, and then he eventually kills this guy in a, in a fight, and so he flees and goes and hides out, and he's kind of shepherding out in the desert. And he hears, him, he hears somebody call his name. He turns around and there's this bush that's burning, but it's not being burned up. And everybody always makes the God voice really big and cool, right? Like, Moses. But I, what if it was a little squeaky and weird? Hey, Moses, over here. Yeah, so, I don't know. It's just, that's where my head goes sometimes. Moses is like, hey, bush, what's up? Take your, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Oh, sorry. Your voice is a little too high pitched for me. So Moses shows up to the bush, and God is calling him. Essentially, he's calling him, and he's going to use him to deliver his people, Israel, who are all of Abraham's children. So Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has 
uh, a son, and from that son, Jacob, comes 12 sons, and they come, turn into 12 tribes. And so 400 years later, there are a million-plus people. God was faithful to create this whole nation out of Abraham, who last time we looked was 100 years old, going, this is ridiculous. And now we're talking to Moses, and Moses is being spoken to by God, and, and, he, and Moses kind of has an argument with the bush. And he's like, okay, you want me to go to Pharaoh? I don't really want to do that. Um, and now you want me to go to, to Israel, to the elders, and you want me to tell them, hey, I'm here to deliver you, which is kind of weird. So who should I tell them is sending me? And here's what, he, here's what it says in verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your forefathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, I'm not a genius, but I'm not feeling real confident if that's what God tells me, right? And what is his name? I am. I am. Like, what kind of God is I am? And... And what God essentially says is, I know you want to give me a name like Bob or Bill or whatever, but my name is, I am who I am. I will be whom I will be. I am not going to be contained by some little tagline that you put on me. And for Moses, as he stands before this kind of awe-inspiring God that's sending him on his way, this name becomes significant. In fact, the people of Israel, the name is Yahweh, is the word for I am. And essentially that becomes a holy name that they never touch. They weren't even allowed to speak it because it was such a holy name to God. And Moses is standing there before this bush and he's faced with this name. And he has to go to the king who is this powerful king and essentially has been beating the snot out of everybody. And he has to say, I am, has told me to tell you to let my people go. And, and that's not the most impressive name, not like the God of the mountain. God Almighty sounds a little more impressive. The mountain God is ticked at you, Pharaoh, and he's going to blow you up like a volcano, right? I could feel, but not I am. I am doesn't, it just sounds like an Eminem rap. And then Eminem, what kind of name? Anyways, another topic. Well, Moses begins this journey with the great I am. He begins a journey walking with a God that isn't necessarily definable to him. God is big, and God is mysterious, and God is dangerous at times. God scares the snot out of him at times. But time and time again, God is faithful and he's faithful to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt with his mighty hand. And they come to this mountain, and God essentially says, Moses, I want to tell you exactly who I am. I want my name to pass before you, my presence to pass before you. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. And we get this picture of Moses standing there, and God's going to pass in front of him, in verse 6. And it says, And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, and, and where your Bible says the Lord, it's, it's actually I am. 
It's Yahweh. Proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. Moses, as he walks with this great I am, the God who is kind of undefinable and mysterious, has this moment on this mountain where God passes by him, literally just the back of God. It's all that he could kind of handle without dying in the holiness of the presence of God. And God declares his name, Yahweh, Yahweh. And he defines himself. And he defines himself with two sort of poles, this really beautiful picture of a loving and forgiving God and sort of a scary picture of a God that disciplines us. And he uses language like compassionate, right? Slow to anger, gracious. When you think of your life, when you think of your strengths and your weaknesses, your mistakes, the sins that you've committed, even now in your very young life, and you knew you had to stand before God for whatever those sins were, from lying to your parents to sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever it is, And you know that you're going to stand before this God who is other. He's not a buddy God. He's not a trinket God. He's not Jesus is my homeboy God. He is I am. He's the God without limits. Then you are going to stand before a God that is compassionate. And you need him to be. You're going to stand before a God who's gracious. And you need him to be. You're going to be standing before a God that's slow to anger. And for most of you, the relationships that you have in your life, that's a foreign thing. As parents, oftentimes we're quick-tempered. we got short fuses. The difference would be that slow to anger doesn't mean that he never angers. Or that you got time. Because he's got a really long fuse, so keep burning it up. But it just means that with your sin and all your brokenness, that you'll stand before a God that has patience. A God who is abounding in love. And the truth is, one of the most difficult things about being in high school is that you're very self-aware. And some of you are self-aware to the point where You just don't like yourself a whole lot. You could list your flaws and you could go on for hours. I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like this, I don't. And it doesn't help when you walk through and you look at those magazines and these rock stars and all these perfect people and you're like, yeah, I don't add up. And you have all these reasons. And you need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this God is abounding in love for you. Abounding. It means to completely overflow, to have more and more that the reservoir is not going to get empty. 
And you may not know one other person in your life who has that kind of love for you. But this God does. And he's abounding in faithfulness. That this isn't a God that's like your friends. Your friends who might blow you off at at a moment's notice. Your friends that don't talk to you anymore because you didn't do this, this, or that. This is a God who's faithful with you to the end, even if he's the last one standing with you. And he's maintaining love to thousands. Forgiving wickedness and rebellion. I mean, of all the luck, that the God who actually exists would be that kind of a God, we are pretty stoked. Well, he's not the God of just angry God, the God that made creation and went, look at what you did to it. And I'm going to come down and I'm going to zap you all. I'm going to burn you all. I'm going to torture you all. Like we do with ants, like little kids and ants, right? You know, ants are walking around going, oh no, the God who is is horrible God. He's the God of the magnifying glass, right? He's the God who burns us for enjoyment. And it's just some six-year-old going, <laughs> That's not God. This is your God. But this is also a God who disciplines us. Who says, look, when you do sin, because I love you, I'm going to discipline you. And I'm going to discipline you so you learn, this is the way life works. And if you go down this, you're going to get life. And when you don't go down this road, you're going to get death. And I don't want you to die. So when you go down this road, there's going to be repercussions. And I want to train your heart to love life. I know as parents, because I am one, we don't discipline real consistently. Some of us over-discipline, so you're always in trouble. So when you hear me say, God disciplines, you're like, oh my gosh, the great. Right? I'm always getting disciplined, now i got God disciplining me. Right? He just walks around with the giant, the biggest belt you've ever seen. Right? So we get this picture in our mind. For others of us, like my kids will come in and they'll go, are we still on restriction? And I'm like, why why were they on restriction? I don't know. Um, Are you sorry for what you've done? (laughs) Yeah, I'm really sorry. Why don't you, in your own words, explain to me what you did and why you're sorry? (laughs) They're like, I I poured uh, Gatorade on your laptop. No, you were not off restriction. (laughs) You may never be off restriction until you can afford a laptop. But we forget and we're sort of inconsistent. And so discipline has this really kind of almost scary word because we don't understand it well. And we as parents don't always help you understand it well. It seems like an arbitrary thing or a random thing. Or we never know if we're getting it or we're not getting it. But with God, he's faithful in it. And he doesn't discipline so he can just take his vengeance out. He disciplines so that you'll learn life. And he wants you to know life. And so he's a God who is loyal in his love for you. He's so good. And he's abounding in love. And he's faithful to discipline you. And if you desire to walk away from him, he'll discipline you. And sometimes that's consequence. He knows each of you individually. With my kids, some discipline works for one kid and some doesn't. I could look at at one of my kids and just be like, no. And they're like, you know, they're crying. And the other one I could spank and she'd go, hmm. And you're like, smack. (laughs) 
<laughs> then you're putting boxing gloves. Like, Come on, you want something? She's like, it makes me laugh when you hit me. <laughs> so uh, it, it's a personal thing. Like how you respond to discipline and how I respond and what is discipline for you and what's discipline for me, very different. And God is personal enough to go, yeah, I know just by letting you run to the end of yourself, that's going to be enough. And for others of you, you might have to get put in a corner before you really wake up to it. And you can rebel against him at any time you want. You can despise and reject his discipline. When God disciplines you for your sin, you can just hate him. He lets you do all of that. 